0: More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be um, looking at this last of those Christmas themes that we've been looking at, uh, piecing those together. And so I wanted to, um, uh, there's a lot of places you could go when you're looking at that last uh, theme of love, uh, obviously, God's love. Uh, some beautiful stuff all over First John and uh, the Book of John, and uh, uh, First Corinthians thirteen, the love chapter of the Bible, and all those things. Uh, but then I was, I was, I was reading. Um, uh, there's a, a section that that Peter um, was a, addressing a crowd, and he was addressing a people going through much. Uh, much a similar time like that we're going through. If you don't know the context of that, we'll get into that in a little bit. But I wanted to kind of take some time to look at piecing those things together, those four themes that we looked at, you know, uh, four weeks ago. Uh, that his advent of hope, his advent of peace, his advent of joy last week. And then this week, tying that together with love. And so, if you don't know, the faith is one of those that holds all those together. And so, some people will spend some time on that. And so, today we're going to look at that uh, because we've been looking at this theme um, of advent in the, in the idea of our particular cultural moment in our particular cultural content uh, context to where um, we're a, a world that has different things going on. Um, we're a world that's had some kind of crazy things going on for the last two or three years. And so um, um, Peter is addressing one of those similar things in this. And, and we, we're going to see that uh, there's a beautiful picture there where he pieces these same themes together, not not purposefully um, trying to bring out like an Advent theme, but but in his, in his production of the gospel as he lays it out in this first chapter of, of Peter, uh, 1 Peter, that, that, that's what he goes into, the, these themes that flow together. And so, um, we get to uh, have the, the pleasure of gathering together on Christmas morning. So very rarely do we have Christmas that falls actually on a Sunday morning. Uh, I think most people know that you know it probably wasn't actually December 25th, uh, according to our Gregorian calendar, that, that, that it was actually that time that he came. But um, we celebrate that, so it's not a matter of a specific day. And The New Testament even says that. It's not about a certain day. It's not about a certain Sabbath. It, it's the heart of the matter. And so appreciating God in that. And so, um, but we get that uh, wonderful blessing. So thank you guys for coming. Um, I know that for everyone probably getting up and um, either doing Christmas, some people are traveling and and seeing family and doing Christmas all over the place. And then um, on Friday and Saturday, and then uh, to be able to get up this morning. So some people probably open presents this morning and then come to church or are waiting, maybe kids that are waiting to open presents uh, later on. And so, Um, We're glad you're here with us, and I I hope that this ties that together, all of those things, seeing God's love being the thing that holds all of this together. Um, We... uh, um, for us in this rent house, it's been a little bit different because uh, even our boys have kind of noticed. Uh, we we sold our house, and man, it's so weird because I was so excited about selling our old house, but now on our tele, on our television, I guess it's those prime photos, and I, I don't think that I ever went in and selected for that to start happening or chose for that to. Pop up, but, but on it's like prime photos, and so it just shows pictures. It doesn't. It could be some crummy picture, you know. It could be like you know uh, when the dog peed on the floors, so, which he didn't do that very often or anything. But like it could be that picture. But if it's just that house now, like I almost tear up, just like oh man, I miss that house. I miss the house. And so we're in this this little rent house, and um, Jamie's always wanted uh, a live Christmas tree. And so um, we, for years and years, she's talked about having a live Christmas tree. And so we went ahead and did this. And I don't know if I told people before, but um, that's our first time. So I'm 50 having a first time uh, live Christmas tree. Um, and uh, we got the tree. And so she went and picked it up with someone. Of course, my back was messed up. So she went, I think her and Owen went and got it. And you know, they have it wrapped up in that stuff. Uh, cellophane, and so then when when we unwrapped it, you know, I guess the the limbs are supposed to slowly, you know, kind of come unfold. Well, we we get it and we start looking at it, and sure enough, it, it's kinda, it's kind of it's kind of bent, crooked, but then also there's a huge bald spot, just like it's not just like the limbs didn't fall out. There's a whole bunch missing on one side, and the thing that stinks about, it, like if if you want it to look straight. Well, you have to turn it a certain, like any way you put it against the wall, it's going to look crooked unless you do it to where it's leaning backwards and it doesn't look crooked, but then that's the side for the bald spot. And so we knew that people would probably be thinking, you know, like either they come in they see that and they're like, do they not know that there's a huge bald spot? Or if we turn it the other way, then it's like, do they not know that it's leaning? Why didn't they just lean that the other way? And so uh, even the, the brokenness of our Christmas tree, reveals to us that, that, that we are even celebrating Jesus in this. We're not to that place fully to where it's the perfect, consummated, um, um, fully uh, experienced appreciation for what he has done. And everything that we do, whether it's giving gifts, whether it's meals together, whether it's family together, all those things, we're still in a broken, fallen world. And so uh, we get together this day to, to, to be reminded of him coming, and that that was all God's love in the purpose of Him coming, and so we're going to take a look at that. Um, I, I would encourage you to think through um, this idea of you know what was the overall goal, what was the main goal of Advent, um, and I would say that the end all goal would would be that place where we are in heaven. With God, we're seeing him face to face. So that, that picture in Revelation, that this, this crowd of people gathered around the throne, and not just that worship setting, but getting to see the actual Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, um, we, us worshiping God, the triune God in that, um, and him receiving worship in, in a fully uh, expansive way to his glory. His glory is not... Um, blurry anymore. His glory is not tainted by a fallenness of sin, where even if in the most um, worshipful experience we could have, we still have thoughts very quickly that run to, what about this week? What about the things that we've got going on this week? What about the concerns? It's the brokenness of our world, we're, we're, our minds, our thinking, uh, our, our schedules, just compensate for and plan on having difficulties. And, and what Advent brings to us is a completely other realm, a completely other, other way of living that we, we really can't even fathom um, because it will be no sin, no hurt, um, no pain, no suffering, no, none of those things, it completely renewed. And so that's hard for us to even wrap our minds around. And so that's the end goal of Advent. Um, transformed by God's love, it's a people that are redeemed Loving God. So that all those passages about loving God and loving one another, that's the kingdom. And so Advent was God finally revealing to the world after four hundred years of silence, this is what it would be like. It's a glimpse. And and he was surrounded by a fallen world. And so let's in honor of uh just the, the, the Christmas story. We're not going to spend our time in Luke, but since it's Sunday morning and since it's a, a, a church day, um, I wanted to read the story um, there in Luke. We're going to read Luke 2, 1-14. through 14. It'll be on the screen, but our, our time's going to be spent in First Peter. But I just wanted to honor the Lord and just honor the Word of God. Um, kids, as you grow up and as you go off and get your own uh, family and go off and go to college or go off and get a career and you choose your own church, make sure it's a place where really there is this reverence for God's word that they they really, they want to preach from God's word and it's not just ideas about how to have a better life and how to be more fit and how to be more healthy and how to have more money. Like let God find a place where God's word is honored and the Bible actually says there's a blessing for us, for our soul from just reading the word. If we just got up here and read the word, a chapter, there's a blessing, there's a spiritual thing that God does. It's honoring God in his word. And if we just did that even, um, that, that's a blessing without the preaching. My boys would be very quickly say, why don't we just do that every Sunday? Let's, just get up there and read a chapter and sit down, Dad. And so um, we, we have the honor of that. So let's, let's honor Christ and his coming um, th- this day in reading chapter uh, two, part of chapter two. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each of his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So to be to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And they saw it, and they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. As it had been told them, and at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's just pray and thank God for for that truth. It's it's a beautiful story. Um we, we, You can go to Christmas pageants and Christmas shows and and see plays and see um, all kinds of skits about it. But it, it it's not a fairy tale. That's the real story. That that's the way God decided to bring his son into the world in this humble, humble, broken place, bringing the hope and peace and joy and love of God flowing from him to this world. And this was the entry point. So let's pray, just praising him for that. Father, we do thank you that this was your plan from all eternity past, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit um, working together uh, for, for eons beyond um, the creation. From before then, your plan was to send your son. And so we get to read about that in your word. We thank you that your word shows us that and tells us that truth. Um, I pray for the young people in here that are gonna be challenged with other ideas and uh, other philosophies that wanna challenge the idea that Jesus was truly a man, that Jesus was truly God, that, that that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And yet your word is absolutely clear. I pray that that would increase their faith instead of diminish that. I pray that you'd help us to relish and treasure this story. It's so well known and we're so well acquainted with it that it can become just ho-hum instead of a glorious thing. And so would you get us beyond even the the festivities of the, the season to the reality that this humble servant came to take our place. He came this day. He was born this day, but he came to die in our place. We're amazed by your plan. We thank you for that. Help us to have greater affections for you because of that reality as we look at your love for us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, So that again, that's in honor of God's word. Just wanted to read that. As I said, uh, we want to look at um, this this idea and and reorient our hearts and minds towards those themes of hope, Peace, joy, and love, and so we've looked at that in in, in the in the side of we're in a, in a situation in our world today. Uh, it's not more horrific than ever. I would as as I've been reading some different things about um, some things, the way that our brains work and the way that they've identified these those things. And scientifically, um, they can prove these, the way that our brains work and that we absorb information and we absorb media. So media knows that. It sells things. And when money's involved, then that works because they, they want to get these things in front of you. And it just wants to be popping in your face all the time. And we don't even realize how much we're accustomed to that. And I, I would say that in the middle of this kind of weird two or three year kind of situation. It's not horrific. Like like some of you may like like me, just like, I mean, we're okay. I mean, right? We're okay. It's not like we're destitute and like we can't do anything. Like our jobs are going on. Our families are so we should be thankful for that. We can still be thankful. I wonder if in this weirdness though, in this political weirdness, in this um just Cultural weirdness, particularly for the church, when we feel like some things are being questioned and ripped away from us that had been long-standing uh, moral norms, and things are changing, not only changing, but they're changing so swiftly. I wonder if we medicate it by little things that we can just distract ourselves with. So even in Christmas, the shopping and, and this more of this and more of this and more this and more of this, and, more this and, and really it, it, it's an attempt to medicate some of the weirdness. Have you ever been in that where you're in a state of maybe some fear or some anxiety, and you try to kind of like maybe what would distract you? Maybe a book, or maybe this, or maybe a song, or something will distract me from the anxiety I'm feeling. And I wonder. Remember a few couple weeks ago, I had the scream. Remember that 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 famous uh, painting of the scream of like there was this anxiousness that that everyone kind of identifies with at that time, and then and for our own nation might be fitting. And I wonder if it's easy. To get caught up in, and if we just do this and do this and do this, it'll distract us from that. So we're a world in need of hope and peace and joy and love. And, and God has said, this is the only thing you're going to find it in. And I wonder if we, if we were to continue doing that, that we would just continue to see that. Oh, now it's the 26th and it's the 27th of December. And you know what, the anxiety's still there. And the world's still like this. And the people around me are still like this. And we're being attacked. For no reason sometimes. Just just having our stance that we believe this word, we're almost illegal now. We're, we're abusive to people. And just that's a weird place for us to be. And so there's a weirdness there because of this current cultural moment. And so what I want to get across is that we can have that. And that Peter's crowd listening, they were going through some similar things there. And it's not surprising, God. It wasn't surprising the things that are happening in the world um, and in fact, sometimes he allows some darkness that, that settles in because he knows that will make it clearer to people that you need light, that you need hope, that you need joy. And it'll be difficult sometimes to, to continue to have hope when those around you, and joy when those around you only want to talk about all the horrible things that's going on. So let's look at First Peter here. The church can either look at all the swift changes taking place and be overwhelmed into paralysis and anger, or see it as opportunities to show the power and love of God. And so if you'll turn into 1 Peter there, towards the back right by um, Revelation. So remember, Peter is uh, one of Jesus' closest friends. Um, I think he liked his hair or something. So um, he, one of the closest disciples um, and, and just had this passionate heart. Like you didn't have to guess and wonder what Peter was was feeling or thinking. Like he would literally just interrupt God himself to tell him, this is what we must do, Jesus. And Jesus had always kind of, pop down, Peter. We're, 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 I got this covered. Just, just listen for a little bit. And so um, Peter here, this is many years later. So I think this is, I'm trying to think through, I should have looked at it. But 1 um, Peter, it's maybe... 40, 50 years after Jesus had ascended. So think through that. Remember Pentecost, all the things that happened. So in the book of, if you read through the book of Acts, all that stuff happens. The first nine chapters of the book of Acts is all kind of entailing what Peter had done. And then the next um, sections goes to following what Paul had been used by God to do. And so um, Peter writes this to a group of people who, number one, a lot of scholars believe that they thought that maybe Jesus had already come back and they had kind of been left behind and Thessalonians talks about that, but they definitely were going through some persecution and we'll see that in a second. But we're gonna read, uh, starting in chapter one, we're gonna start in verse three there. It says, blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word blessed is an adoring. It's not the same word, makarios, or uh, the word in um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. That, that's this happiness thing. This one is attributing. this. In this one, he's saying, you are blessed, God. I'm, I'm uh, uh, declaring you blessed. I'm adoring you, this. And so this there's this enjoyment and this adoring type love going towards the Father because of what he's done. This this, this thing, I know, I know you're going through some things, but you need to be reminded of this. There's a salvation that's going to be revealed. In one of these days, it's going to be fully revealed and experienced. It's not changing. No one can rip that away from you. It's undefiled. It's imperishable. You are perishable, but this is unperishable. I know you need to hear this at this time. In this, that salvation I've just explained, in this, you rejoice "...though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found in result to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So as we see that, um, I want you to see the, the four things that, that that Peter lays out in that little section there. The first one, just that, that idea of hope. Notice he says there um, in verse 3, It's according to his great mercy that he has caused us. So God has actively caused and done something for us to be born again. So notice it's God has done this work. He caused this to happen because of his great mercy. And in doing that, it leads us to, us being born again leads us to a a living hope. So, so when you were dead in your transgressions and sins, so remember on the, the baptism thing, you, know, you were dead in your sins, and then you were saved and you were brought to new life. Remember that? And so it's a picture of, of Jesus raising from the dead. And when we do baptism, because there's this connection that we're looking to the reality of Jesus. And so when you talk about 2 Corinthians 5, 17, um, the, the, I, I'm a new creation. What Peter's mindset on this was that we have this living hope now. You couldn't have that if you're not saved. So you your eyes were blinded. Your soul was darkened. So Ephesians 2, that, that, that before God did this work and opened your eyes, you didn't have that understanding. You were dark in your sins. But now as you as, as you've been as you've been um, renewed by the Holy Spirit, now you have this living hope. And why living hope? Because Jesus rose from the grave. All other prophets, all other um, deities still in their graves. And he's saying, your hope is fixed on the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. It's a living hope. Rough times, cancer, uh, horrible situations, war, afraid for your kids being bombed in a school at some places across the world. Hey, even the worst of the worst this world has to bring, your hope is fixed on a living person. He rose from the grave and that's your living hope. And Peter is wanting to remind them in a very difficult situation that we have a living hope and it's all according to his great mercy. So think through that. We talked about mercy uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Just the reality uh, of how much flows out of that idea of mercy. Um, Andy had said this last week, God would still be loving and kind and patient, nice, just, and right, even if he never saved one soul. So think about that. Even if he never sent Christ in the advent. So, so think through that. God would be completely right if he looked at my life and your life and saw that from a little kid, you were, you were nice sometimes, but you disobeyed your parents. You were frustrated with your mom and dad. You were kind of mean to your brother and sisters. You were jealous. You were envious You may have stole some toys from them. You had a smart mouth sometime to your mom and dad. So even as a little kid, and what's God doing? Is he coming immediately and squashing you with with, with anger and wrath? No, he's graceful and kind and patient and loving. Um, Even as adults, we know that all of those things that we go through, whether it's envy and jealousy and, and hatred at a heart level, Um, to actions of very great harm from our mouths hurting people or our actions hurting people, all those things. And yet God is still kind and loving. And even if he never saved one person, even if he never saved one soul, he would be completely right and just. I've let you live a full life. You've lived for yourself. You've lived in self-exaltation. You've lived acting like I do not even exist, and yet every day you wake up and you have food. Every day you have wake up and you have a, a, a wonderful family. Every day you get to experience the beauties. Of, I mean, think of lost people. Think of someone even like Hitler. You know, think of some of the crazies through our history of our world that they got to experience wonderful things, and God was so patient and graceful with them. It was loving of Him to still do that, even though they may not have ever come to a saving faith in Him. And so God is so kind and so loving. Can you imagine life as you know it if God had not sent Jesus in his first advent? Well, the whole Old Testament, that's the whole creation of the world and everything. Those people live without the advent of Christ, right? So they still got by. And they had a hope in someone they didn't even understand, this coming Messiah. They didn't know what he was going to look like. Today in our living world, and and everyone that's alive today, Jews, Jews, That's what they're still thinking through, right? They don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. They don't believe Jesus was the one. They're still waiting that Messiah. The lost world. Think of that. In today's world, today's climate, void of Jesus, void of the hope that we have, void of the trust that we have, void of the rest that you don't have to work your way in our American society to try to be more approved, to try to get your approval uh, before God. That Void of Christ, imagine what life would be like without his advent. Um, But God would still be completely loving and merciful after your first sins, your first 10 sins, your first 1,000, your first 100,000 sins, even if he never saved one soul, even if he never sent Christ. What an amazing, loving gentle, kind God. Um, allowing us to play and interact and use his creation to enjoy the beauty of his creation, to use all the gifts, even turning them into idols sometimes. We're exalting ourselves, we're exalting things above him that, that would be um, that would be something that we would remove him from actual being God to, to something that's small, uh, metal and rubber put together for a vehicle. Um, uh, even sand and water. You guys know I love the beach, and so like sand and water, and God could be like, thank you, really? Like, do you know how great I am? This is little H2O and sand, like, and you're, you're amazed by it. Like, wait till you see heaven, and so, but look what we do. We, we exalt it very quickly. How many people just worship nature? It's like, that's rocks and dirt, and God's going, I just built it really, really high. It's a mountain, and how many people just love mountains? You know, you, a lot of in our our area, a lot of people say, you know, saying, I don't go to church." My church is sitting out in a deer stand. So, 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 so think through that. I, you know, that's kind of a joke, but I've heard it probably twenty times in my lifetime from guys. And so, when I talk to them about like why they don't go to church and stuff like that, think through that. It's four a.m. It's freezing cold. You're up in a tree. You fall. You're going to break something. You're you're like. Breathing in that air, I'll just love that cold air. And you're going to kill this 96-pound deer. And to you, that's like the highest glory in in the world. Like, God's like, man, you need a different perspective. And and we do all of that, and yet God lets us enjoy those things, even lost people. Um, Even if he never had plans of saving one soul, it's God's great mercy. And so uh, listen to Spurgeon here. He says, All his goodness to us begins with mercy. No other attribute could have helped us had mercy been refused. So think through that. You can take this home with you and just sit around for about five minutes and think about that. If you remove mercy from the other things that God has given us, Um, as we are by nature, justice would you want justice without mercy? We don't want God to be just without mercy. Just every one of us step up in front of the judge. Here's your list of sins. Nothing you can do about it. We don't want that kind of justice without mercy. Um, Holiness, the law... Think through all those things. Like we, we struggle, we make our own lists, right? Like we want our kids to be like this. We've talked about in group before. Like we want our kids to be like this. And that we, in our own lives, we know we can't even keep our own lists. We make simple little lists, and we can't even keep those rules. And yet, God's law—would we want to stand before Him without mercy? Holiness would crush us. Remember, that's the whole point of the the Beatitudes in, in Matthew five, six, and seven, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, was not to say, if you can go and live this way, you will be qualified to get into heaven. It was actually supposed to show you, I- I'm telling you that all these things, it should crush you. You can't ever live this. You're going to need something outside of yourself, and it's me. And after I do this sermon, a couple of years later, you're going to understand what that meant then, that I'm the sacrifice. I'm the one who brings in all of those attributes. And so um, power, it crushes us. Truth it confirms the threatening of the law, and wrath fulfills it. It is from the mercy of our God that all of our hopes begin. Isn't that beautiful? Spurgeon's a pretty sharp guy. I mean, he's thinking those thoughts as he's riding this horseback, you know, like going 100,000 miles a year on horseback, and then like pausing, getting off, and writing all this stuff down. Um, and so, but this verse brings up this, this beautiful paradigm shift of according to his great mercy, he did this. He caused this. He interrupted the outcome of our souls. He caused us to be born again. So the Greek, there's this picture of, it's similar to, I forget the word that they use in there. It's back to Genesis 1 and 2, where it says that the spirit's hovering over, and the picture there, that he was, the word hovering is not like this floating cloud, like, mm-hmm. Like that, that wasn't what the Spirit was doing. So you're reading those things about the, the water being created and the, the expanses being created and the earth being created. It was it's actually this picture of this masterful um, symphony uh, orchestra leader, like he's he's his arms were moving and he's doing this stuff. And so remember, that's the Holy Spirit's job because the Spirit was hovering doing this, and so the same type word here, this word and so the the Old Testament in Hebrew there, and then this this word God caused this, the same type picture there. God caused you to be born again. Now you may think that you were just sitting in a church and you felt guilty and then you're like, oh man, I really don't want to go to hell forever. So yeah, I'll raise my hand, I'll bow my head, I'll repeat this and I'll walk this aisle. And so a lot of us did that. Like there was a lot more going on. He caused you to be born again. It's a beautiful picture there of depth that sometimes we just look over. And why? Because of his great mercy. Have you thought through and taking the time to really contemplate how much stuff that we do to try to keep making ourselves acceptable to God. We, we do all these things trying to make ourselves more acceptable or more approved of, yet He made us acceptable. And you can't even add one bit to that. You can't add one bit to being acceptable. So a beautiful picture there it clarifies there it's not you you can't enter into this room of acceptance of the holy of holies it took the holy one adventing and coming and taking you into a place that you don't belong you can't enter into the outer courts you can't enter into even even the region or the parking lot. you can't approach this type of holiness one one had to bring you in and he come in advent to bring us in to that type of hope um so it's just a beautiful picture there. It is a living hope that we've experienced. The second thing that he brings into that is after we see, uh, according to God's great mercy, that he did this, offering this beautiful type of hope. Peter says, who by God's power, in verse 5, are being gar- uh, guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so so that word salvation there. That's that picture that we learned, that that salvation that that is ready to be revealed. That would be a full consummated salvation. And and when we were standing there before God, we're going to realize all of our sins. There's going to be this moment where we can look back. So people kind of speculate on whether they're going to be kind of like a file cabinet or a screen that's going to show different things. But we're going to be aware of all of our sins. And then how much more in in that weightiness of his holiness with these angelic beings and maybe millions of beings just bowing down this loud, thunderous roar. And then you're this small person with nothing to to defend yourself with unless you're covered by the blood of Christ. And so to realize at that point, I have peace between me and God, that, that, that God has come and what Christ did provided peace between, instead of wrath, I get his peace, peace between my soul and God. And so what a beautiful thing that he brings up. It's a salvation ready to be revealed in that last time. So not only was it that God caused us to be born again, but it was only by God's power that we cannot lose this salvation. So if if, if, if he's the one who caused us to be born again, then you're not going to drop it. So that's a thing where we believe in that idea of perseverance of the saints. If you've truly been made new, if you become a new creation, you still will probably sin many, many, many times. And that's a confusion for people when they get saved. They they have this real strong commitment, and then they feel like a month later, like, oh, man, I still fell back into that sin. And so there's there's this idea that I'm not doing my job to keep this, this salvation and hold on to it. And actually, God's the one who's holding on to it for us. So that belief that if you have been made new and you have repented, you don't don't want to sin and you feel the the remorse of sin and you're wanting to turn and repent from that. So this continual uh, process of repentance and faith, that there's the perseverance. That's what he's bringing up. And Peter does a great job of bringing that up here. You guys know how, like I mentioned earlier, I love that picture of the beach well, it could be months away, and, and, and during this Christmas period, they keep on having all these different ads that show whether it's you know these beer commercials or it's these uh, credit card commercials or it's these travel commercials or whatever. It's just this beach picture, and so it's freezing here, literally you know miserably zero degrees, cold outside where no human being should be. And I look at that, and I'm like, that's where everyone should should, should be, like it. I'll probably be in trouble in heaven if we get there and it's below fifty degrees there. If I'm if we get there and we find out oh, we don't have vehicles or can't transport somewhere and it's really really cold, I'll probably be like, hey, is there a complaint box? And I'm just letting you guys know. Like, so I don't like cold weather. And then I go to uh, uh, go to, uh, start dreaming about and thinking through. And when we're driving, even if it's months away or weeks away or even on the drive, I start imagining just just that picture. So my favorite thing is walking across that that. Uh, that little boardwalk over the dunes. And when I get there and just get to see that aqua crystal water with that sand, uh, I, I, that smell, the the smell that you can just almost taste. Um, then the, the, the breeze blowing all of that. Um, it's not finalized. I'm just thinking about it. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And then when I finally get there, it's this realized, um, thing that I'm experiencing fully. Um, this salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. Um, it's like the kingdom. It's already, but it's not yet fully. Um, in that, God's peace between us was sent in the person of Christ. This salvation, this peace between God and man, we're not experiencing it fully. We still struggle with sin, so it's confusing for us. We desire to follow in obedience, but we still sin. And all of those things just bring up difficulty. And so... By God's power, he is saving us, ready for us to live in this peace, this true peace with God and with, with man, and also in his eternal kingdom. No longer the idea uh, of just our holy imaginations, but a tangible, concrete, real, um, consummated kingdom when we're face-to-face with him. That's the peace that we're going to experience that Peter's reminding them of. And then he goes on to joy. Notice he says, if, if those things are true— this salvation that was granted to you and that God caused you to walk in, that, that God brought you this salvation, It's, it's this, this peace has been established, this salvation that's going to be finalized and you're going to realize it fully, it should change your affections. It should affect your attitude. So he says, in this, if that's all true, you would be rejoicing. You rejoice. So joy. You would be enjoying what? That. So one of the things that we struggle with sometimes, so uh, I'll, I'll hear different uh, churches and different ways of uh, churches that kind of, this is kind of their message. And so like this, even like I've heard a couple of guys this, this last week that, that, that their main message was, hey, um, your goal for 2023 is you love God more. Let's go love God more. Let's go love God more. And so sometimes we don't stare at, at the gospel and we don't stare at Jesus So like like it says there, so for the joy set before him, or for us to to fix your gaze on on Jesus, the author and perfecter. If you're fixing your gaze, if you're gazing at him, like 2 Corinthians 3 talks about, that then you're being transformed. If you're thinking it's instead of gazing at him, staring at the gospel, it's all about you and more of a raw, raw, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. You know what you're doing? You're trying to muster up love for him by not staring at why he loved you. So you're, you're, you're trying to muster it up yourself. And so a lot of times we get into that. And in fact, we, 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 we kind of like being challenged. So a lot of times that, that really kind of makes people kind of attract to that. And so the attractional model church or the church growth was a lot about that. You go do this. You go do this. You go do this. Here's all these rules you will keep and you go do this. And I'm not taking away from obedience. We have to be doing those things. But if we make it about fixating my eyes on how good Sankey can do for God— man, that, that's going to empty out pretty quickly. How, how much you can go do for God on your own, that's going to empty out pretty But if you fix your eyes on Christ, uh, and so Peter says here, in that, if, if you're staring and gazing at this salvation that was brought to you in this peace, this hope, this Jesus on the cross and resurrected, if you fix your eyes on that, you rejoice. Even though you're going through this weird situation in this world, even though you're going through trials and hardships, all of this, in that you rejoice. And if you remember, actually, the, the two verses that he starts this, this chapter with uh, are up there. Pa- Peter starts it out by saying, hey, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So think through that. Just He wor- uses these words intentionally, elect, the elect of God, the chosen by God, exiles. And that, that's a weird um, situation. You're the elect of God but you're exiles. Why? If you're the elect of God, wouldn't everything just go great and go easy? No. It's a story, a theme that God has throughout the whole Bible, that you are going to be separated in this world, that you are going to be not at home. Everyone else is going to put their stock in this world. So you're elect exiles. You're out of place. And the diaspora, well, he was talking to you, So what he says there, you've been spread out all over the place. That's what he means by the dispersion. That it was the diaspora. And that word just means uh, spreading out to these different places. And so right now in the, in the world today, it's the greatest diaspora of ever. And that, that's all the refugees all over the world. And so that, that was what was happening. He said, I know that you're spread out all these places. He goes in Pontus, uh, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, all those places. But, but do you remember in Acts what was happening? Hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the world. He's going, I know that's happening to you guys. You're exiles, but you're the elect of God. In this, rejoice. I know what's going on. All this was, look in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In the sanctification of the Spirit. This was God's plan. He was going to be renewing you when you're, you're, you're up against brokenness, when you're up against sinful situations, when the culture is completely in lust and love with other things you're going to be sanctified in the Spirit. I know that, but you're exiles, you're sojourners. He he uses that word later on. He says, it's in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So beautiful pictures there. So let me ask you, would, would you still love God and rejoice in this salvation if he emptied you? if he took away some of the main things that we don't even realize we're propping ourselves up with, would you still love God and rejoice in this salvation if he emptied you? If he, as this context says, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, if he determined to allow the testing of your faith through many trials, would you still love the Father and rejoice? Would you... Would your heart be hardened or softened as you go through trials of many sorts? Would you walk by faith even when you see nothing, but it seems like you're losing and losing and losing? Would you still rejoice in the salvation and love God? Would you fight for joy even when these various trials strip you of everything that you've been able to prop yourself up on so far in your walk with God? What if these trials meant living by a radical faith and trust? Listen to Spurgeon again. Indeed, it is the honor of faith to be tried. So you're going through something. We've got to get past the the question of is God doing this so he can see how I'll handle it? Well, God knows tomorrow. God knows a week. God knows two months where you're going to be. So, So is it for his sake? Or is it for your sake when you go through difficult things? And, and, and the point of that is, if you're going to remain a bit, you, you're going to see things in your heart. You're going to see things that come out. And in the end of that, who gets the glory when you persevere? You or him? It's not that he needs to know. What, what, what Spurgeon's saying here is, um, it, it's an honor for your faith to be on trial. We don't think of it that way. It's like, hey, hey, Father, let me out of the trial for a while. Like immediately, as soon as we go into some sort of trial. He says, shall any man say, I have faith, but I have never had to believe under difficulties? Who knows whether thou hast any faith? Shall a man say, I have great faith in God, but I've never had to use it in anything more than the ordinary affairs of life, where I could probably have done without it as well as with it? Think through that. I think that we start out in our Christian life, and, and we kind of have this romantic idea about we're going to be this radical people of faith. We're going to be this radical people of faith that they're just taking huge steps, and we many of us begin this journey of walking with Christ with radical trust and radical faith. And yet, somewhere along the path, after being saved for a while, we start to try to control every tiny little variable, wanting to control every tiny and large outcome. My career. Our retirement, the way our kids turn out, the way our marriages, the way that we're perceived by people. We start controlling all of these things, wanting to control all the outcomes, and perhaps we're even taught that's what good Christianity is. And somewhere we lay down living by faith to set up our lives on good morals and good lists, which are good if they're in obedience. But if we're not careful, I'm in so much control, I don't have to live by faith. What would it look like for you to have to live by faith? Would you be willing to say yes and put your yes on the table if God started ripping away things? Because that's our fear, isn't it? Like, what if he rips away from some of our freedoms that we thought were guaranteed in this country? What if he rips away our right to... Religion, our right to gather, our, our, our health situations, are our, our all these things that I, I thought, I, I want control of those things. What if he rips those away? Are, are we still going to be a people of faith and joy? Because that's, that's the two-thirds world. They don't have those beautiful things that our country, by God's grace, has, has granted us. Our children and grandchildren may not have those things if the Lord tarries. And, and Peter's saying to that crowd, I know what you're going through, and God has a message for you, and it's hope and peace and joy, and love in Christ and what he's done, you can rejoice in this salvation. That song by, uh, that Shane and Shane do, um, though you slay me, says, you know, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. Sing a song to the one who's all I need. Though, though tonight I'm crying out, let this cup pass from me. You're still all that I need. You're enough for me. You're enough for me. And those, those things get difficult when you're in the middle of losing and losing and losing. And you lose a loved one. You lose a job. You lose security. You lose a house. People devastated by situations. Can we still say, you're enough for me in those things? Is he really enough? Enough. And so the last one that he goes to there is love. And he says, if you're a person who understands all that, that kind of salvation that's been granted to you, because of this great mercy that you could not have earned, and this granted salvation that's been given to you, and you're going to experience it fully. So, this, this peace between you and God, this this hope that you have in this living Christ, um, this beautiful joy that we should be living in, that no matter what's happening, we, we, not in a fake joy. I've had people do that, like a horrible circumstance, like, sake, you just need more joy. You're like, really? Because you cry to me when I have a headache. Uh, this, this and this and this. We lost a baby. My mom died. Her grandma died. We lost all this. And you're coming to me with a headache sometimes. And, like, and you are t- you're just want me to be joyful and smile? I'll be there that day to, to repeat to you Romans 8, 28. You know, well, well it, God, God it, it, it all works out for those who love God. Like, you don't want to throw that to people when they're in the middle of a heated, weighty situation. Um, so, Love. If you believe all those things, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So he doesn't even know how to describe it. Like when you start using the term inexpressible, it's joy that's just inexpressible. And it's it's that, that feeling in our soul, in our heart, those times when God just brings that type of worship and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Advent is all about God's love, sacrificially shown in the coming of Christ. And we celebrate this day, Christmas Day, because he came specifically to die. And so we could go to John 3.16. We could go to John 1. We could go to 1 John. So all those pictures of love show us that it was him that initiated. The reason that you could love God It's because he first loved us. And remember, we don't want to get in that that mantra of of just, you go love God more, muster up more love, muster up more love, muster up more love. You should be checking your heart and, and asking the question, am I growing in my affections for him? But to do that, staring at what he's done for you, staring at his love for us displayed in sending Christ. It's in this celebration of Advent in a world that's broken and confused It is in this celebration that we offer a weary world hope and peace and joy and love. And that's why he came, for for a time and a people in desperate need. And what a great opportunity that we have as we internally can celebrate that as a church body. Then then we can look forward to 2023, going, man, whatever comes, 2023, 2023. We thought it was bad. We thought 2020 was crazy. We thought 2021 was this little shaky part. 2022, now it's getting crazier. All the weirdos are coming out. All the crazy stuff's coming out. The finances are worse. Are we going to be a people who offer people peace and love and joy and hope in Christ? Or are we going to join along in the banter? So we've got to be a people that can completely be aware of those things that we're listening to and, and be secure in what we're truly trusting in and resting in and we have this in christ and so that's what we celebrate in his advent i hope that your understanding of advent has grown uh, as we've gone through this i know i know three or four years ago when we started doing advent purposely for like four weeks um like i was just kind of like yeah I, i you know i think this is good man my 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 appreciation for the month of December, but just focusing on Christ has grown and grown over the last two or three years. Just, It's been incredible, just going deeper and deeper. And then I hope that that, that gets us through when March gets there and April, that we can look back and go, he came and he's coming again. He came and brought this to us and he's coming again. And so um, I hope that's encouraging. I'm gonna pray and then Susan's gonna come and we're gonna do the Lord's Supper. And then we'll do one last uh, song. Father, we are thankful for um, this beautiful mercy as Peter described. We're thankful for this beautiful salvation. It brings us hope that you are alive, Jesus, that you're not in a grave. It brings us peace, peace between you and us, even in our fallenness and our sin. You decided and you chose to act to bring peace. It wasn't just an idea, a fluffy idea. Peace was bloody. And broken on a cross. We thank you that you've given us joy in that salvation, that we can be in a really, really rough trial, a really rough situation in life, and yet you can bring us joy. And we know that all of that is because of your love for us. And we don't see you. We don't get to see you face to face, but we await that day and we do love you. We do believe in you. And we believe in what you've done in our place. And so we love you because of what you've done for us. We know we can't add to that. We can't make ourselves more acceptable or more approved. We rest in you. And we thank you for what you've shown us about Advent, that you came for us. In your name we pray, amen.